Welcome one, welcome all to our first annual best books of fill in the blank year, this case 2021 here. So of course this year we're talking about 2021, which has been a big year for books in my life. Launching this podcast has afforded me the opportunity to read more books than I ever have, about which you will hear no complaints from me. And I am excited to welcome back to the show my dear friend, Carla Jean Whitley, who I hope will be a regular contributor to this program. I just asked her offline and she said yes. So now we've got it on the record because I know no one else who reads as much as we do. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, looking forward to a few long weekends and finishing up some reading for the year. You know, I don't set numerical goals for my books, um, but when I get to December and I see like the next big number in sight, I'm like, okay, but now I have to get there. Yeah. I'm not sure that it really, I'm not sure that not setting goals really does anything for me. Well, I don't track. So do you do that on Goodreads, right? I use both a Goodreads and um, Storygraph. And it is, I like to see the patterns because I've noticed if I swing too far in any one direction, that can tell me something else is going on in my, my life. Um, for example, in 2020, I read more books than I have ever read in a single year. And yeah, there were some things going on, weren't there? <laughs> so. uh, yeah, no kidding. Understatement of the year. You know, I don't track how many books I read, but just by virtue of this show, I guarantee I've read more books than I ever have. Like there, and yeah. I have, I have up years. This is definitely an up year, but I have down years uh, as well. Like when I'm in school, I mean, I haven't been in school in ten years, but when I'm in school, you know, I would rarely read for pleasure because I was always reading for school. Um, there's years that I just have so much going on that I don't read as much, but this year for obvious reasons, I've had a really up year, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Yeah, so, I appreciate that. I will say one reason that I track is also because I tend to, um, forget that I already own something. So keeping track, <laughs> it makes it easier to, um, ensure that I'm not buying something that's already sitting on a shelf at home. Yeah. And it would be nice. Like I'm having a moment where I'm like, did I, did I read that book? Like, cause I like, there's an author that I love and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I read that book, but I have no way to, to ever tell. And then I'll get the book from the library in about 10 pages. And I'm like, yeah, I've read this already. And yeah. And sometimes I press on and sometimes I don't. By the way, listeners, when Carla Jean and I go for coffee, which we do about every two weeks, these are the kind of conversations we have. And this is why she is my friend. This, I mean, not the only reason, but it's certainly up there. You, you truly love, like, I, I imagine this to be the equivalent of being a runner and finally finding someone that can keep pace with you and run the race with you. You can keep pace with me and you run this reading race with me. Not that it's a race, but um, it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. Whereas if you uh, wanted me to run alongside you, there better be a life or death reason because I am not doing that. (laughs) Oh, bro, please. Let's talk about people that don't run. That would be me. But um, okay, so before we dig in, I set some ground rules for myself. No titles mentioned here could be a throwback. They had to be from 2021. And I told you to do the same thing. And Mm -hmm. no titles mentioned here could be a book I've featured in an author interview 
on this show or on my other show podcast royal which is about the british royal family i didn't want to play favorites because i really do love all of my guests and by virtue of me asking you on the show authors should know i adore the book so these are books that i might have mentioned on the show but there is no author interview connected to them i i didn't want to get into like oh well xyz guest is her favorite she just likes them as a person and that's why no. So none of the authors that I've interviewed are going to be mentioned here. And as for Carla Jean, I just told her to bring the best book she's read this year. So I say we trade off one for one. I told you I brought five picks. How many did you bring? I am going to attempt to limit myself to five also. <laughs> yeah, you Though, said you were having trouble cutting down. I mean, I, you know, if I can like twist your arm, I might throw in an honorable mention or two. You and can I do have want as to... many as you want. Five is, not, <laughs> five is not the limit. Five is just the number that I finished with. Well, I think it's a good, it's a good goal. Um, but I do want to throw in like an honorable mention picture book and another book that, you know, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the best that I read this year, but I'm still kind of giggling about it. So I think that merits. I'm excited. By the way, yeah. how cool is it that I, that we talked, the last time we talked on the show, we talked about Margaret Wrinkle and she's been on the show. Like, I can't get over that. That's so cool. Yeah, that was delightful. And, you know, I like knowing too what your ground rules were there, but that we also get to give Miss Margaret a shout out here because big, big fans. I am the self-appointed president of her non-existent <laughs> fan club. Um, there should so. be a fan club for her because she's awesome. Yeah. So when you see me not mentioning uh, Graceland at last, it's not because I don't love it. Cause I do. I just, you know, by virtue of her being on the show that equals, like, I don't bring just anybody on the show. Like they, I have to love the book. And so all of the authors that have been on here were, were my favorites of 2021. So um, I would love to start with you. So tell us one of the best books you read this year and tell us a little bit about it and then I'll go. Sounds good. Well, I'll jump right in with a book that was released in early 2021, although I did not read it until the middle of the year. And that's A Lie Someone Told You About Yourself by Peter Ho Davies. I picked mm. this up because it was a book club pick at my local bookstore, Thank You Books, in Birmingham, Alabama. Shout out. And got to get the shout out in there. Um, the It's sort of a quiet book in some ways. And I do tend to like those novels that can be really interior, really on the narrator's experience. In this case, that experience is really wrapped up in the choice to become a parent. And um, it's written from a man's point of view. The author is also a man. And <clears throat> that's just not a point of view that I've spent just a ton of time with. There's some real serious medical complications that this couple faces. Um, in becoming parents. And it was just really thought provoking and sensitive. One of those books that I finished and thought, oh, well, I'm really glad I bought that because I definitely want to read it again. And this is fiction. And this is fiction. You know, I tried to pull more fiction than not yep. because I knew who I was yep. talking to. Um, yep. And yep. I'm not going to quite land 
at more, but I definitely wanted to bring some to the mix. Yes. No, I'm, I'm so glad that you are because you are my fiction person. You know that I read, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but in, I don't have to tell listeners this either. Nonfiction is kind of my cup of tea. And so I, one of the many reasons I wanted you here is because I knew that you'd bring some really solid fiction titles to the table. And so, you know, I've actually in our last episode on the show with Bonnie Fuller, I mentioned, and I've told you as well that I'm exploring freezing my eggs and becoming Mm -hmm. a parent someday. And so that book sounds very apropos for my moment in life. So I, I might have to pick that up. And I know if it made this list, then it's really good. Like no, no bad books allowed on this episode. <laughs> so I I'll have to check that out. Well, my number one pick is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. This just came out on November 30th and its full title is Atlas of the Heart mapping meaningful connection and the language of human experience. Now, let me tell you a little something about me and Dr. Brene Brown. I think Brene Brown may be one of my favorite people on this planet, though, of course, I've never met her. Hopefully that changes someday. She is Texan. She is tell it like it is. She is funny. She researches topics that compel me. All of her books heretofore have been your standard operating procedure book, but Atlas of the Heart is a really a beautiful book. It's filled with gorgeous photos and graphics and pull quotes that help the words sink in even more. And honestly, I'm not a huge audiobook person, but I bet this would make for a great audiobook. Just hearing her inflection, assuming she's the one reading it, just hearing her inflection and hearing, you know, what, what she emphasizes. So the book is essentially a framework for meaningful connection in a season in our world where, as we all know, meaningful connection seems to have kind of gone by the wayside. Thanks COVID, but it explores 87 different emotions and experiences and how they impact our lives. This book is, uh, is definitely not a read it in one sitting book. It's kind of, it's, it's not as, it's not as meaningful to me as tiny, beautiful things, but it is kind of like tiny, beautiful things in that you don't need to read this in one sitting. You need to like take a few, like take a chapter, take a beat, and then come back to it. It's, it's a lot to take in and a lot to digest. So again, listeners, make sure before you sit down with Atlas of the Heart, you're, you're ready emotionally to take in the obviously copious amounts of work and research Brene and her team have spent on this. And I'm a better person because I read this book and, you know, isn't that what it's all about, right? I'm so glad that you brought that one up because I have been sort of circling around that. I've seen it at the stores. It is physically beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have read several of Brene Brown's books, really enjoyed them. Some have been truly transformative for me. So I really appreciate getting to hear what this particular book meant to you and, you know, learn a little bit more about its structure and what to expect. Yeah, I would not call this Brene's most transformative work for me personally, but it's it's good. I mean, I don't think that there is such a thing as a bad Brene Brown book, and it and like you you've seen it, I guess, so you know it's it feels kind of more like a coffee table book, almost like a small coffee table book, and um, the photos and the graphics on this one 
more than ever before, really just really kind of illuminate the book. So um, I'll let you borrow my copy if you want. That sounds great. And I can let you borrow my copy of A Lie Someone Told You About Yourself. We have some things to bring to our next coffee date. That sounds amazing. So what is your number two pick? So I'm going loosely in chronological order here. Um, much earlier this year, I read a book called What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. Actually reviewed it for book page so you can find a more in-depth um, analysis there. But I mean, this is a dark novel. Actually, both of the novels I've mentioned have some real sadness in them, but it was surprisingly hopeful as well. The basic premise is that these two teenage boys in this community have gone missing. It turns out one killed the other and then killed himself. Um, oh, wow. This, yeah, it's a tough premise. And the book looks at what comes after that the way that the community is affected and the way that the parents are affected. It included a lot of beauty, but the thing that really made it stand out for me was the way that the author writes about faith. I don't see that in a lot of fiction, at least not in a lot of the fiction that I read. Um, I don't see it done very well. The main character's faith was woven into his life as an everyday thing, and that included doubts also. And I feel like so much of the fiction I've read that represents faith in any sort of way, you know, if it's the Christian faith, it's often been Christian fiction and, you know, that leans saccharine. Um, This novel is not what I would call a Christian novel um, by any imagination, but it is really just a lovely depiction of how the protagonist's faith that shows up in his life every day. Besides that, it was such a well-written novel that I was shocked when I saw it It was her first book. Um, And she does have some background in, I don't have notes in front of me, but I believe in the criminal justice system um, or else as a social worker, one of the two. So like some of the really tough stuff that she writes about, the, her experience really shines through. It's just an incredibly sensitive book that um I've been pushing on people for probably nine months now you might have to bring that one too that that is that that sounds that sounds really compelling what's the author's name again Joanne Tompkins and if I remember correctly I think I read it in a single day though it's something like 400 pages it it, compelling is the correct word okay bring that too bring that too Okay, so my number two pick is called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be by Katie Milkman. So back when I was still doing Thursday threes, back over the summer and early this fall, I think that this was actually my first Thursday three pick. I loved this book. I tried to get Katie on the show. She had scheduling conflicts. This was also in the infancy of the show. So I totally understand. Um, you know, her not prioritizing, I'd rather be reading, maybe we'll have her on the show now that it's picked up some steam. But you know, the phrase when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Um, Yeah, this book came out in May. And as I've been undergoing, as you well know, as my friend, some pretty significant changes in my life as of late, I left my full time job, April 30th for full-time freelance work. Then I went back to full-time work in October. I've lost 85 pounds and then I gained a lot of it back. I lost a relationship I thought would be permanent this year. 
the only constant in my life in 2021 has been change, to be quite honest. So some of the change I wanted, some of the change I didn't, but it's change nonetheless. And it's, this book is a book about personal growth that is backed by solid research, which those are some of my favorite books are personal growth books, but that are backed like that's why I love Brene Brown, personal growth books that are backed up by real hard data. I loved it. And, and I'm honestly probably due for a reread of it over the holidays, because in 2022, I, you know, 2020 and 2021, I've spent a lot of time building my career, focusing on back to back romantic relationships. And I really you know, for definitely the top part of 2022 and probably all of the year really want to work on me, focus on me and not um, my career or someone else all the time. And so it's a good one. It's, it's a really, really good book. Excellent. What's up for you next? So I wish that you could see this book because it is so beautiful. Yeah, by the way, listeners, we are off video because if you can't tell, which if you can, that's fine. We're raw and real over here. We're having some internet connectivity issues. So if there's a lag, there's a lag. We're imperfect. Imperfection is beautiful. But anyway, that's the truth. Imperfection is a myth. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Say that again. But yeah, so what? So you wish I could see the book? I wish you could see this book because it is so physically beautiful. It is The Moon is Behind Us by Hazal Sheik and Terry Tempest Williams. Mm. So this book is, it was really born out of a friendship. So Hazal is a photographer. And I think during the time that this book was written, I think he was in Switzerland, but I really shouldn't say that on a recording because I don't remember. Um, Anyhow, he was I think in Europe during the time that Terry was sending him these letters. So fairly early in the pandemic, he sent Terry a collection of 30 photographs that he had taken throughout his career as a photographer. And they spanned a great length of time. These were not just 30 recent photographs. Um, And Terry responded to these 30 photographs with a letter prompted by each one. So... The the title of the moon is behind us reflects that, you know, the 30 days is about a lunar cycle. And this correspondence was taking place during the COVID-19 pandemic. So in some ways it is a record of the pandemic. In some ways it is a record of so many other things that occurred during this ongoing pandemic, including George Floyd's murder, Um, a lot of conversation around racial injustice and many, many other things. It is not, I would say, even an American-centric book, though Terry is an American um, because of the nature of Fazal's work. It is um, a really a global perspective. And I ordered it sight unseen because Terry Tempest Williams is one of my favorite authors. She is um, conservationist. She has been uh, teaching and working at the Harvard Divinity School in uh, recently, at the very least in the past semester. She is a real activist for the environment. She's from Utah and her Mormon background also has shaped her life in many interesting ways. So I have 
read many of her books. I haven't quite completed all of them yet. And she has been an active writer for several decades now. Um, but if I see that Terry has something new coming, I'm going to hop onto it. And this one certainly was worthwhile. It is truly a beautiful piece of work. Well, I was going to say that's a beautiful premise in and of itself. Yes. And, you know, do you ever just sit back and think, my God, what, what we've been through these past uh, two years? I do. And then I try not to because you can go too far down that path. But then I do try to engage with the really the just the sorrow, the collective trauma. And, you know, my personal trauma, I've been incredibly fortunate. And I certainly do not overlook that. Um, so there's just a lot to process from these past couple of years. And I suspect we'll be working through that for quite a while. Yeah. And um, thank God for therapists, right? <laughs> yes. Shout out to Peggy. Yes, we should. Carla Jean and I also share a therapist. So we we really have this beautiful friendship and thank God for Peggy. She is, uh, I saw her yesterday, actually. And oh, she, I saw her two days ago, three days ago. That? I don't know what Shout day it is. Shout out. We have the same therapist. We love the same bookstore. We love the same coffee shop. It's just a friendship made in heaven. So you know, speaking of pretty much the antithesis of this last year, this book, I really, I really needed to read this book after these last two years. My number three pick is called The Power of Fun, How to Feel mm. Alive Again by Catherine Price. Have you, it, this just came out yesterday, but have you read this? No, I'm not. Tell me more. Yeah. So again, the title is The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again by Catherine Price. Again, the book just came out yesterday, December 21st. So we're recording this episode on December 22nd. It is definitely worth picking up. I also tried to get Catherine on the show. Maybe I can still somehow arrange that in 2022. I would love it. But I think like many of us, I realized that I just haven't been having a lot of fun lately, you know, um, I mean, obviously granted it's COVID and all of our social lives have taken a hit, but this book really makes the case again with solid backed research for why fun is so critically important in our lives and cannot be ignored and pushed to the side in favor of work. You know, I spent most of this year as a full-time freelancer and I've had this conversation with you, Carla Jean, that I felt like every minute I wasn't working, I was losing money because I wasn't salaried for the first time in my professional life. So I would work a hundred hour weeks and I still am in that mindset. And, you know, Catherine basically says, if you're not having fun, you're not fully living. And that's obviously like we, we can come to that conclusion on our own, but you like, really, you need to take a day of rest and relaxation and fun, like not like not just anecdotally, but like you actually need to do it to be better on the six days or five days that you are on. Um, she's the also the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, which I haven't read yet, but I need to. And she says that having fun is not just the icing on the cake of life. It needs to be baked deeply into the cake. And she's a really concise, beautiful writer. She taught me what true fun is. Like there's fun, but there's also true fun. There is a difference. And like I said, I tried so hard to get Catherine on the show. So Catherine, if you're listening by some grace of God, please come hang out with me. I have so many questions. So it was, it's, it, that I would put that up there for you as well. It's, it's just really, 
I think a lot of us think fun is frivolous and fun is, you know, oh, if I have time for it, I'll make time for fun. But really, we can't do that anymore for our mental health and well-being. We, we cannot continue to put this down on the food chain. We have to prioritize it. I am so happy to hear you say that. You've grown so much in that area this year. Um, yeah. But I think we all could stand to continue growing in that area. Um, we're, we're both driven women. And being reminded to slow down and have some fun is probably absolutely necessary. And I will also mention that I thought how to break up with your phone was great. Oh, you um, read it. Oh, yeah. So I am really curious now about this book. So thanks for yeah. the rec. Yeah, I have not yet read how to break up with your phone. I really, I mean, again, she makes a really solid case, even in The Power of Fun, for why we should break up with our phones. And it definitely has, has me reconsidering that, you know, there's nothing that is more um, mind boggling when I get the notification every Sunday about how many hours a day I spend on my phone. And the other, like last week, it was like, like you, it didn't say congratulations, but it said your screen time was down X, Y, Z percent for an average of 11 hours and so-and-so minutes a day. Like Ooh. how pathetic is that? That's just so deeply sad. So, um, you know, I, I'm not really good at self-care unless someone tells me I need to prioritize self self-care and Catherine did that for me in this book. And so I appreciate her for that. Oh, that's great. Um, so, yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep rolling. Yep. I'm going to keep rolling on the nonfiction track, this time with a memoir, Smile, the Story of a Face by Sarah Rule, who I love. In fact, the last time you had me on, I believe I recommended Letters from Max, which was by Sarah and her friend Max Ritbo. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that, Rex. Yeah, so uh, this year, Smile came out really just a couple months ago, and it is everything that I hoped it would be. Um, so different from Letters from Max, but so, so good. So Sarah, after giving birth, um, experienced Bell's palsy. 90% of Bell's palsy patients see a spontaneous improvement. And um, according to the jacket copy, they experience a full recovery. And Sarah Rule's mother had even gone through that. Sarah has not experienced that full recovery. So this memoir is deeply personal because your face is, you know, how the world perceives you, even as much as I think both you and I would say, you know, I relate much more to my ideas than I do to my appearance. Yeah. Um, but our appearance is still what physically carries us through the world. So mm -hmm. she wrestles with that idea, but also brings in so many different like sort of historical literature references and science and um, shares her story throughout. She is a playwright by trade and um, she also you know, teaches playwriting. So there are ways that she sees her, the frozen side of her face affecting her work and you know, telling students, it's not that I'm not reacting to your work. It's not that I dislike your work. I can't move. I have limited range yeah. of movement on that side of my face. So it was just a really lovely and vulnerable reflection. And, you know, I'll probably read just about anything that she writes also. Um, there might be a recurring theme here, 
but you know, I've read several of her plays as well. And while I always think I'm not a theater geek because my sister was, my aunt is so much more into theater than I am. But then I realized like, I'm, I'm fairly into theater for someone who is not a theater person. Um, anyhow, so like I've read several of her plays as well. And, you know, memoir is really where it's at for me, but like pick up something by Sarah Rule anytime you see her name. Yeah, no, I, I will for sure. And, you know, I had a friend when we were in high school that had, had Bell's palsy and it just, I mean, it really came overnight and mm-hmm. no warning signs for her and it, it did eventually reverse and, and go away. But, um, you know, it, even as some, I would, I would agree with you. I don't, you know, put a massive premium on it, my appearance. I hope that, and I'm, fairly certain that that is not the most interesting thing about me but even still it that would rock your world even if you even if you really aren't someone that that puts other people appear other people's appearances first or your own just we don't realize how much our appearance does move us through this world and um you know, as someone that's been up and down these past couple of years with my weight, the way that someone is treated when they're at a heavier weight versus at a lighter weight is, is, is staggering, to be honest with you. And, um, that I'll have to read that one too. That's, that's really fascinating to me. Um, and you've mentioned her on the show before, so I need to check out her stuff. Not know offhand how many books she has out. She's published quite a few plays, So uh, certainly more than a half dozen. Got it. Well, I will for sure check her out. So number four for me is shockingly my first autobiography or memoir of the bunch. Since I love those so much, I would have thought I would have had all five picks be those. But um, really, this is, I guess my fifth one is as well, kind of. But so I had to go with my journalism heroine, Katie Couric, on this one. I saw her on her book tour. I read the book in one sitting. And true to the title, Katie really does go there. She unpacks heavy topics left and right. So Katie kind of had the journalism career of my dreams, covering all of the stories of the 1990s that I was too young to have a dream of covering. And she talks about her personal life. Shockingly, she talks a lot about her having sex, which like, I don't, I mean, not like, why would I think of Katie Kirk having sex, but like, you know, unpacking that sex. (laughs) unpacking that sexy side of her because you know she's sweet she's cute she's bubbly but I don't think many people like watch her on the Today Show for example or on CBS um, evening news and think about her sex life but anyway she just really goes there and kind of shows different sides of herself that we've never seen and so obviously her personal life her professional life her ups her downs I know the book got a lot of shit for being anti-supporting other women. Like there's a bit, like, honestly, the, the bit that got the most flack was about Ashley Banfield. And I don't even, like, it didn't even really register to me when I read the book. It is really not that big of a deal. Honestly, those headlines were just super clickbaity. Um, if you actually read the book, and I've listened to a lot of Katie um, on her press tour, going on interviews, talking about the book on podcasts and the like. And she always says, if you actually read the book, 
there's really not anything incredibly controversial there. Um, she talks about Matt Lauer. She just goes there and she's a really special person. And I enjoyed learning her full story. Plus I really enjoyed seeing her in person. That was kind of a pinch me. I can't believe that this is happening to me moment. So um, there's, there's my probably top autobiography, not probably definitely my top memoir pick of 2021. And I don't think it's just because I, I love her and her career. I think that it's really, really well-written and um, it was, it was just, it's really compelling. And you learn a lot about her, but you also learn a lot about the field of journalism and women in journalism and how, you know, we have it just, it's not a perfect field out here for women in journalism, but it's certainly a lot better than it was in the eighties when she was getting her start. So that's number four for me. Nice. Well, I do. I love reading memoir to learn about people's experiences that are not like mine, but I also love it because it helps us feel like we're not alone. So I love hearing about other female journalists and their experiences as well. If you haven't yet, you should listen to the very first episode of I'd Rather Be Reading, me and Lisa Napoli on the rise of women in journalism. It is so good. The book, okay, what is the name of the book? Susan Cokey, like it's four women's names and I'm embarrassed. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about? And Linda, and there's one more. And anyway, it's about the four founding mothers of NPR. And that's a great episode talking about how far we've come yet, how far we still have yet to go in this field. Absolutely. Well, well what is your final 2021 pick? Well, it's along Plus those lines. Mentions. Huh? Plus, Plus honorable mentions. mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, so along similar lines, and one author who... I almost hesitate to say that I relate to her because um, I can only dream of achieving the sort of success that Ann Patchett has. Ann Patchett, oh my gosh, (laughs) Ann Patchett. But I do relate to Ann Patchett in a lot of ways, including um, being a vegetarian who practices yoga. I would love to also... um, I don't feel like I need to own a bookstore because we have several wonderful bookstores here in Birmingham, but of course I still daydream about it a little bit. So Ann Patchett is one of those authors who feels like a friend to me when I'm reading her nonfiction. And last month she released a new essay collection called These Precious Days. Her previous collection, This is the Story of a Happy Marriage, is one of those books that I loved so much that I bought it before I finished reading my library copy. So I was really excited to go pick this book up. And it is a collection of essays, um, of course, that touch on so many different topics. You know, also, there's a lot that takes place here during the pandemic. And I think that will probably influence a lot of what we read in the next couple of years. But there are two essays that I want to touch on briefly. Um, One is the title essay, These Precious Days, which is about her friendship with, actually with Tom Hanks' assistant, Sookie. Um, This uh, 
essay ran in Harper's earlier this year. And I remember reading it then and loving it. I loved it just as much reading it in a book this time around. The essay, I mean, Tom Hanks is how they met one another, but he really has very little to do with the essay. Um, so Anne read Tom's short story collection. Um, is it called Uncommon Type? I'm like, yes. blank. thank yes. you. I'm like, I shut off all of the other internet things to not avoid or not to not interfere with our recording anyhow. So she read his short story collection several years ago, blurbed it and ended up interviewing Tom on stage at an event. At this event, she meets his assistant, Sookie. And that she's just, Anna's immediately intrigued by this woman. Um, they strike up an email correspondence and it turns out that Sookie has um, a cancer that there's a trial for near Anne's home in Nashville. So she comes to stay with the patch with Ann Padgett and her husband for a while. Well, a while ends up being quite a while because this pandemic hits. Yeah. And the trial that she was going to transfer to near um, her home in California ends up being postponed significantly. It is just a really lovely essay about their friendship, about what we know of other people, about the experience of even you know, sometimes you like don't want to ask the wrong question, you know, and you think like, oh, you're protecting the other person, but later perhaps you realize that it was yourself you were protecting all along. So yeah. she kind of dives into a bunch of different ideas. The essay is uh, around 50 pages. It's, it's quite a doozy. And uh, one of the things I thought after reading it was, wow, I wish I could write an essay that's 50 pages long. So goals. I'm sure you could. And just haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. um, another essay I wanted to mention in this collection is called Reading Kate DeCamillo, who is a children's book author. And after a couple of different circumstances, keep bringing this author up um, and decides, okay, well, I'm going to read one of her books. So she starts with, um, oh gosh, I should have had all the titles right here in front of me. The so Anne picks up the novel, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. And she's just floored. Okay, so kids' books have so much to offer. She ends up going to Parnassus, the bookstore she owns in Nashville, buying all of the Kate DiCamillo books, reading all of them, discovering that Edward Tulane is not even the best one. Um, so it's just really lovely, but I've read that essay. And of course, I went in the checked out The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane and read it myself. Rachel, I cried so hard sitting alone on my couch with my two cats, so I'm never really alone. Um, I cried so hard that I think the cats were worried. It was gorgeous. So this, this essay collection of Anne's both invited me into her experience and her thoughts. I read it over Thanksgiving weekend and it felt very warm and fuzzy for that sort of time. Um, but it also pushed me to some other things and got another Kate DeCamillo book waiting for my attention now. So mm. it's, yeah, I just, I loved this collection. I definitely recommend it. I love a good essay collection, but it's rare that 
you know, you feel as satisfied from one essay to the next, you know, like often some collections are a bit uneven because of the nature of an essay collection. Uh, But this is just a treat. I really kind of like when the whole album's good, right? Instead of just songs, like when the whole album's good, you know, that like, that's how I feel about Nora Ephron essay books. Yes. Like Nora Ephron, I know that you saw this on my Instagram because I think you commented on it, but I watched over the weekend on HBO Max, the Nora Ephron documentary that was done by her son called Everything is Copy, which of course as a writer and you're a writer as well, is one of my favorite lines because that totally makes everything in life, whether it's the happiest moments or the worst moments, it makes them all tolerable because everything is copy. Like we can use this and it's not just going to happen to us. It's going to happen for us, first of all. And it's going to, to hopefully be able to impact others as well. If we can turn it into some writing and um, yeah, I just, the, I'm not an essayist. I really, I mean, I can, but I, I just, I'm, I'm more comfortable writing about other people than I am about myself. And um, a good essayist is, is like gold absolute gold and Nora Ephron is that for me and Patchett is up there as well and um I'm gonna need you to bring that too to coffee just for oh it's so good I think you'll like to call that one in for sure um gosh I just is there anything better than an essayist that can just capture the human experience or the, especially the female experience on paper? And I heard Ann Patchett, I think it was on the Today Show. I heard her talking about Suki because that is not a, a common name, right? And, and I remember the Tom Hanks connection. And I remember thinking at the time when I heard that interview with her, I want to read that book. So I'm going to have to, going to have to borrow that one from you, my friend. Glad to loan it to you. Oh, we got some exchanging to do at our next coffee date. So um, do you have any other honorable mention picks that you want to throw in before I give my final pick? Um, well, I will. Sure. I can go ahead and throw in a couple of honorable mentions. One is the novel Several People Are Typing. The author is Calvin Kessel. Um, and it is a novel that is set entirely in Slack. Oh. Yes. Slack. And you like that. <laughs> it is a gimmick that I think only works once, but it really worked for me. There were so many moments. There were so many moments that I would laugh out loud and then pop on Slack and message coworkers and say, you know, oh, what about this? And oh, did you know this emoji exists? What does that mean? Um, so there is a lot of humor to this novel, but it's also really sweet. The premise is kind of absurd. Um, the main character is consumed by Slack. He only exists in Slack. Like one of his coworkers goes over to his apartment and he sees his bo- the main character's body like immobile as though he's asleep, um, but dude is still in Slack talking to him. So it's, it's an absurd premise. Um, but it really gets into workplace culture, some of the like ridiculousness that comes along with that. But then also some of the ways that these uh, people's relationships unfold over Slack is really interesting. There's some real sweetness to it. So I wouldn't say it's the best book that I've read this year by any stretch, Mm -hmm. but I thoroughly enjoyed it and definitely recommend it. 
does anybody not find it so strange that the app for workplace communication is called Slack? Like, I mean, I'm sure that that was like very intentional, but I I, I just always thought what, you know, how ironic, but yeah, what other games do you have? I also wanted to mention Rectangle Time by Pamela Paul. It is a picture book um, by the editor of the New York Times Book Review. I'm definitely a Pamela Paul fan. Um, loved her memoir, My Life with Bob. And I picked this up for my niece before her birthday this summer. And Molly was turning five. She was about to start kindergarten. And somewhere in the next year or so, this is when I start shifting away from picture books and shifting toward those early reader books as they start, you know, developing their own understanding of language, um, of being able to recognize the words and piece them together themselves. Um, there's some sweetness in that transition because that means my kiddos are starting to understand why I love to read because they can even start doing it themselves. It's also a little bit sweet because those early readers are a lot cheaper than picture books. Anyhow, I went to another of our great local bookstores, Little Professor in the Homewood, and picked up this copy of Rectangle Time, which is told from a cat's point of view. The cat is observing the little boy and his dad reading together and how that experience changes as the child starts learning words and the cat's interpretation of what what, what is rectangle time? How do we spend this time together? Oh, maybe I should go sit on the rectangle. Oh, they like it better if I just sit beside them. Oh wait, the little boy is reading, but well, the cat doesn't know it's reading, but the little boy is on his own for rectangle time. What does this mean? It was really sweet. I definitely got teary-eyed and I didn't really know how perfect it was gonna be to give to my five-year-old niece right before she entered kindergarten, but it was the right book for this moment. and. I'm just delighted by it. I probably need to buy a copy for myself as well. Well, now I've got the perfect gift to get my five-year-old niece. There Alex. you go. So um, sometimes her mom, Hannah, listens. Hannah's my best friend. I, I'm an uh, only child by my parents. Um, and so I, you know, I make sisters out of my friends and sometimes Hannah listens. So Hannah, Allie's going to get rectangle time. I think she'll love it. She's in kindergarten. And she, you know, how, like, how amazing is it to watch a child learn to do, like, learning, yeah, I mean, just, well, anything, yeah, but especially learning to read, like, I can't remember a time when I wasn't reading, and to watch someone learning how to do what Mm -hmm. I love most in this world is, is amazing, so. It's really beautiful. Yeah, okay, that's for sure going to the top of the list. So my final pick is my number five. It's called The Jesus I Know, Honest Conversations and Diverse Opinions About Who He Is by Kathy Lee Gifford. Now, Kathy Lee Gifford is a polarizing figure. Sometimes she's a little too much for me, if I'm honest. Um, So I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this book, but I really loved it. And, you know, you know this about me, and I think listeners have, I'm sure, picked it up. I'm a person of really deep faith, and I got the advanced copy of this book kind of expecting this book to just be about Kathy Lee's relationship with Jesus, which I would have been fine with. But what I and readers get instead is is her relationship with him. But also what I find most compelling is that Kathy Lee is a a master interviewer. And what she does is she has interviews. She has chats with 
all of these luminaries, um, people, everyone from Kristen Chenoweth to Megyn Kelly to Chris Jenner, I mean, just so many different people about their faith. And some people that she interviews are people, I mean, not that I'm over here judging like, oh, you have faith, you don't have faith, but some people aren't incredibly outspoken about their faith, like maybe someone like Kathy Lee is. And to, to see that intimate side of these people and she asked really good questions. Um, you know, we think we know these celebrities, but hearing their faith journeys, it just, you know, honestly makes me feel even more connected to them. And I just can't, you know, overstate Kathy Lee is really good at interviewing people. I mean, she's really good at what she does. And I'm, I'm appreciate that she didn't make the whole book about herself, which probably would have sold tons of copies too, but she, she does tell her story, but she lets us in on other people's stories too. And, I felt like I was in the room with her and whoever she was speaking to or on the Zoom or what, what have you. And I really, really liked it. So that's the Jesus I know by Kathy Lee Gifford. So that's, that's my number five pick. Any more from you? I think I'll stop there for tonight <laughs> because it I was had... hard to cut it off at five. I hear you. I mean, I definitely left off some really amazing books like you know, The Night Lake by Liz Tishner was a great memoir that I read early in the year um, about, a, gosh, I really read memoirs about really sad things. It was about her child dying. Um, Shaking the Gates of Hell by our friend John Archibald. I mean, I read that one this year. Yeah. I know I've told you this, but listeners, John Archibald lives two doors down from me, which I find really cool. He's wonderful. And um, his wife, Alicia, is a rock star. And I'm going to say that every time John's name comes up yep. because yep. she applause to that woman. Um, she is a really significant part of his success as well. Couldn't do it without John, but also couldn't do it without Alicia. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there's so many books that I could talk about, but I know you also wanted to talk about maybe some things we're looking forward to in 2022. Yeah. You, you put the words right in my mouth. I was going to ask you what books you're most looking forward to in this next year? Well, I've only got one on my list right now, um, but I am stupidly excited about it. And that is Lost and Found by Katherine Schultz. Mm. So, you know, I haven't read it yet, obviously, so I can't tell you in detail about what, what it's about, but I'm really excited about it, partly because Katherine is a Pulitzer Prize winning feature writer. She writes for The New Yorker. Um, but also because this memoir gets into her experience as her father dies, as she meets the woman that she marries, and working through their different faiths and how that affects and shapes their lives. So those are several notions that I'm really interested in. Um, it comes out on January 11th, so fortunately I don't have to wait too terribly long. Yeah. Um, and uh, Catherine's wife is also an incredible writer, Casey Sepp, who wrote um, Furious Hours, the book that is about Harper Lee and the book that Harper Lee never did write. Um, so that one's a couple <clears throat> years old, but if you haven't read it yet, you definitely should. I read okay. the first chapter or two and thought, why is this so good? Mm. Why, why is she so good? I'm a little I love bit that. jealous but I'm so glad that she wrote this. So I love that. I love, 
I love that feeling when you're like one or two chapters in and you're just like, oh my gosh, I want to make this last forever. This is a decadent piece of chocolate that I just want to savor forever and ever and ever. You know, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking I did not have this on my short list, but my favorite fiction author, Emily Giffen has a book coming out this year. So about every two years, she has a book that comes out and literally I read it all in the span of three to four hours. And then I have to wait two more years for another Mm -hmm. Emily Giffen book, but meant to be, I believe is what it's called is out May 31st. So my calendar is marked for that. Um, you know, I'm a royal aficionado. So two, yes. oh yeah, this, it's a thing. So two royals books I can't wait to get my hands on in 2022 are Tina Brown's The Palace Papers, which comes out in April. Tina Brown is, of course, the former Vanity Fair editor-in-chief. She wrote the Diana Chronicles, which other than Andrew Morton's biography slash autobiography of Diana is is probably the book about Diana so the palace papers she hasn't written a book about the royal family since 2007 so that's a lot of time to be packed into the palace papers and then Prince Harry is writing a memoir and it's due out next year so don't 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 like that's going to be major. Um, I'm also really looking forward to a lot of books by authors. I'm trying to book on the show. So hopefully you'll hear from all of them in 2022. Also, I want to um, list some celebrity memoirs that I'm looking forward to in the beginning of 2022. I want to tell readers about some books coming up in the early part of next year to look for if you're into celebrity memoirs. So Lindsay Vaughn's Rise is out January 11th. Jamie Lynn Spears, Things I Should Have Said is out January 18th. I pre-ordered that one. I can't wait to see what she says. Um, Valerie Bertinelli's Enough Already, January 18th. Brian Cox from Succession. He plays, I always want to say Logan Cox because that's a family member (laughs) of mine, but he plays Logan Roy. Um, His book, Putting the Rabbit in the Hat is out January 18th as well. Viola Davis, Finding Me, April 5th. That'll be good. Molly Shannon's Hello, Molly, April 12th. Kelly Ripa's Live Wire, April 19th. Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing fame, Out of the Corner. I like what she did there. Uh, May 3rd. And finally, Selma Blair's Mean Baby is out May 10th. So 2022 is looking to be a big year for books. And you know I'm here for it, and I'm going to have you on the show to talk about what you're reading, your book that's coming up in January, and all the others that are to come. And you know I cannot wait to get back here and keep the conversation going. I love it. Well, my last question for you is, was 2021 overall a good year for your reading journey? How does it stack up? Fine. Um, You know, this exercise actually helped me see that it was better than I remembered um, because I did have some trouble narrowing down this list and I didn't anticipate that. 2020 was actually an incredible reading year. So I think 2021 paled in comparison. Part of that is because I spent a lot of time this year with a public relations textbook. Yeah. While educational, it was not the same sort of satisfying as you know a good essay collection. Um, but yeah, so 2021 was a pretty good year overall for reading, but can't wait to see what 22 has in store. How about you? 
Well, before I tell you, I'd like for you to tell my listeners, brag on yourself a little bit and tell them why you were buried in a textbook for a lot of this year. Tell them what you accomplished this year. If you insist. Um, (laughs) I insist. I, this year I earned accreditation in public relations, which is a rigorous process that included um, completing a questionnaire, which, you know, sounds pretty not that big of a deal. When I say questionnaire, you might be thinking of like a one pager. I think my finished product was like 15 pages. Um, And then I had to sit before a panel of accredited professionals and Um, It was basically like a thesis and an oral defense is the best uh, comparison I have. And after, you know, successfully completing that step, I moved on to take a lengthy standardized exam. So, yeah, it it consumed a lot of my year. It was absolutely worth it. If there are any public relations professionals listening, Uh, Google me. I'm easy to find. I'm happy to talk about accreditation and why I think it is a wonderful thing to do, but definitely put a damper on some of my reading. Um, So yeah, I'm finishing, I think, 50 books behind what I read last year, Um, but I also think. Well, it's a huge deal, first of all. So again, congratulations. You've heard me say that before, but I'll say it again. I'll say it a hundred more times. It's a big, big deal. And, you know, I think maybe that's why I don't track my book numbers because I don't know how many books I read in 2020. I don't read, I don't know how many books I've read in any year. Um, and I don't want to ever feel like a failure if I didn't, you know, reach the barometer of like numerically, because, you know, I'd rather read 10 incredible books than a hundred subpar books you know so just the the number count doesn't um I'd rather have quality over quantity I'd rather have both I'd rather be reading a lot and all of them Mm -hmm. be good but that's you know not always possible but to answer my own question I would say yes 2020 I mean for obvious reasons because of the show 2021 was a great year for me in books but you know sometimes reading began to feel like work Um, I miss reading without taking notes um, and tabbing all the time, if I'm honest. Um, I I think the the solution to that is I just need to incorporate more fiction into my life because we don't really talk about fiction on this show. So I just think I need to bring more fiction into my life. But overall, of course, yes, it was a wonderful reading year for me. Some years aren't, by the way, but 2021 was. So anything else for the good of the order before we round out? I think that's it because you know what, Rachel? I'm about ready to get back to my book. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I, I have to say that I'm I'm uh, binging Emily in Paris. Season two just dropped today. So I'm on episode five. So that's my plans for this Wednesday night, but um, thank you so much for being here and and listeners. Thank you for being here with me for these past seven months. If I'd rather be reading, we've got a great year ahead. I wish I could tell you all the guests I'm booking right now. You would, you would fall over and faint. I just booked a guest today that is a star of a Netflix show. We'll just say that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to talk to this person. I, and I can't wait to read more books with you. Uh, you know this, I say this all the time, but I really do appreciate each and every one of you and happy holidays to all of you. And of course, Carla Jean, you know, I think you hung the moon. So here's to you popping up more and more on the show. Well, thank you. I look forward to it and I can't wait to hear more about what you're reading. Yes. So I wish everyone the absolute best 2022 ahead. May it be filled with 
love, peace, happiness, joy, and of course, books. We're going to close out 2021 with our final author interview of the year, Sherry Salata, former executive producer of the Oprah Winfrey show. She has Oprah's number in her cell phone. That's casual. And she's also the author of The Beautiful No, which is a throwback pick. This book came out in 2018 and it's one of my favorites. Carla Jean, I think you'd like this book. I'll have to bring it to you after I finish interviewing her. So I will talk to you lovely people soon. Carla Jean, I'll see you soon for coffee and everyone have a very happy holiday. Bye.